1 Peter chapter 1, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 22. And what a wonderful day to be with God's people at Calvary Baptist Church. I'm so grateful for your testimony for Christ and, and the, your love for the Savior and love for the Word of God. And in times like these, how we desperately need a return just a good old-fashioned revival of love for the Bible and love for our Savior. What a great morning. My, I just enjoyed the fellowship, enjoyed the music, and, and uh, just, uh, just enjoyed what God is doing in this place. I trust that uh, this would be a great, great month to say we're going to honor our Savior, honor the Word of God, and, and uh, my great month to see family saved. And I, I can't think of a better thing than next week. Good opportunity to get some family and neighbors under the preaching of the Word of God, under songs exalting Christ, uh, might just keep praying and keep laboring. God bless you for it. You have your Bible this morning to the book of 1 Peter in chapter number 1. I like to begin reading in 1 Peter 1 and 22. Uh, if you're able physically, might I invite you to stand together with me as we go to God's words this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Uh, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. My Father, help us now as we open the precious Word of God. And I pray for someone in this building that does not have salvation according to thy Word. What a great day to go to the Bible and see how a sinner like me can know they have eternal life. Then, Lord, I pray for your people that, that in these busy days we would just have an old-fashioned revival of a love for the Word of God. Would you do your work in our hearts? Would you help Calvary Baptist Church? In the great name of Jesus, my Savior, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. In 2 Peter, right, we started in 1 Peter, but in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, Pastor Peter tells a story of a day that changed his life. And by the way, folks, could we please get this right? In the Bible, it is not Pope Peter, it's Pastor Peter. And the Bible, and it's right here, it's right there at the end of 1 Peter, the Bible tells us that Peter, well, it never says that he went to Rome to establish a worldwide religion. But what it does say is that he went to a place called Babylon where he started a local church. And you know, Babylon in Bible times would pretty much be what we call modern day Iraq. I just love this because Pastor Peter went to Babylon we know it as Iraq, and there in Babylon, God used him to start churches. Probably some of the churches we're reading about in 1 Peter 1.1, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Certainly, Paul did some work in that part of the world, but we can well picture a local church in Babylon heading up to that part of the world, and, and it really is a beautiful thing, because if you simply believe the Bible, it's amazing how it all comes together, and it all makes per perfect sense. It's only when you listen to the liberal seminary professors and their code language. And you see, they have the code down. Us simple people, we just kind of think, well, you know, the Lord was able to put the heavens and earth together in six literal days. He's probably pretty good with geography. You know, I think he probably is. And that's a good thing that he is. But if you know the code that the seminary professors know, then you know that when you read the word Babylon, well, God really meant Rome. 
The rest of us kind of think Babylon is Babylon and Rome is Rome. But oh, no, no. The liberal cemetery professors have the code. And the code says when you read Babylon, you're really reading about Rome. It's amazing. It's amazing how you read some of the old timers and, well, Babylon can't be Babylon because what could ever happen in Babylon? So Babylon must mean Rome until 9-11 took place. And now all of a sudden in our eschatology, Babylon just might mean Babylon. Whoever could have guessed. You know, folks, it's a whole lot easier just to let the Bible say what it says. Pastor Peter was the pastor of a local church in a place called Babylon. We know it is Iraq. And why from there they started churches, did a marvelous work for God. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, our friend Pastor Peter tells us of a day when his life was forever changed. What a moment that was. The Bible says in 2 Peter now, we'll get back to 1 Peter in a second, but in 2 Peter 1.16, we have not followed coming devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. There was never a day like this in human history. Peter, James and John joined the Lord Jesus Christ on the top of a mountain. Most likely it's in the middle of the night and all of a sudden on the top of that mountain right there with the Lord Jesus Christ appears Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine? You know, we love Moses, and of course, we love Elijah, but, but if we lived 2,000 years ago in Israel, we are talking about their national heroes. This would be like somebody who loves America climbing a mountain and on top of the mountain meeting George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. I mean, Moses, the law, Abraham, uh, Elijah, the prophets. This is just a stunning moment in time. On the top of the mountain, there they are with their heroes. They've heard about them all their lives. And now on that mountain, Peter, James, and John, with the Lord Jesus Christ, meet with Moses and Elijah. Do you ever stop to think what you would do at a time like this? I kind of do this once in a while. And, and I don't know about you, but and you never want to overestimate yourself, right? But I would hope that if I were on top of a mountain with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, that I'd be smart enough to keep my mouth closed. <laughs> you know, I just hope I would be. And apparently James and John were about that smart. Good old Peter had something to say. He always had something to say, didn't he? And, and you know, with Peter, you never know. There were times he opened his mouth and my, he hit a grand slam. But there were some times where it would have been better if Peter hadn't said a word. And I'm afraid this was one of those occasions. You can almost see Peter, Lord, I've got a great idea. Here come the ministers with their great ideas again. It just doesn't work. I just got this great idea. Why don't we build some tabernacles? We call them tents. Let's build the Jesus tabernacle and the Moses tabernacle and the Elijah tabernacle. And uh, we'll get comfortable and hang around for a while. I got to tell you, human ideas are pretty silly, are they not? And now the Bible tells us on top of that mountain, uh, suddenly the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in their presence. The veil is taken away. And they don't see an extraordinary Jesus. They see the normal Christ. The Jesus they were used to was the one who had a human veil upon him. No human eyes could stand to gaze upon the glory of the Son of God. And yet for a moment on top of that mountain, and it really is stunning. It's one of those rare events that are spoken of in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And even more stunning are the different words that are used. In one it says that his face shines like the sun. And another the Bible says his countenance, it's glistening. 
blistering. We call that flashing lightning. And how do you describe the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in one way? How do you describe it with one word? Oh, it is stunning. On top of that mountain, the glory of Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter could say, mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. What a moment in time it is. And the moment Peter, James, and John see the glory of Christ, they hear the voice of God. And isn't it powerful, my friend? God did not point at Moses, nor did God point to Elijah. He pointed at his son and said this, not Moses, not Elijah. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And suddenly Peter, James, and John do what everyone does when they are confronted with the glory of God. They fall on their face like dead people. What a stunning moment in time. I, I get it. We're not impressed by that because we are more than used to the ministers on TV telling us how at 2 o'clock in the morning the Lord spoke to them. You know, I've always noticed the Lord speaks when there's no other witnesses around, kind of like UFOs, you know. I mean, why don't the UFOs show up where CNN's cameras are rolling, you know? How come, how come these ministers always get a vision when there's nobody else hearing it and there's nobody else to see it? Why can't they get the vision at 1130 on Sunday morning as well as 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night? Stunning how that works like that. And yet we have been conditioned to think, well, the Lord's always doing this and the Lord's always showing himself and there's always an appearance of God. Not so. This is extraordinary. This is unusual. And the Bible tells us it's an earth-shattering moment. It's something Peter would never get over. In verse 17 of 2 Peter 1, he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which, I, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. My friend, what a stunning moment this is. Do you understand what Peter could say? When you add this up with other occasions in his life, Peter could say, mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter could say, on the top of that mountain, I literally heard the voice of God. I, I know we're conditioned that people hear God speak all the time, but you know, biblically, that doesn't happen. I mean, Peter just didn't hear what some phony pro false prophet said. Peter literally heard the voice of God. You understand, he sees the glory of Christ and he hears the voice of God. Had he chosen to, had the Lord allowed him, he could have added a few more things here, couldn't he? Peter could say, I walked and talked with Jesus for more than three years. I, Peter, if he wanted to, could say, I, I walked on the water. Not everybody can say that. Not anybody else can say that. And you and I know it didn't last, but he did it. And Peter, if he wanted to, could have told us and reminded us that I was the first human to go inside the empty tomb. I got to tell you, Peter had a list that was a mile long, nothing greater than what we read about in 2 Peter 1. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. My ears have heard the voice of God, literally the voice of God. I walk with him. I talk with him. I, Peter could say I had experiences. Peter could say I had encounters. Peter could say, I had a lot of wonderful things in my life. And yet for all of that, would you notice what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 19? The man says, my eyes have seen his glory. My ears have literally heard the voice of God. And now Pastor Peter holds up his Bible and he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. What a stunning statement that is. More sure, more sure. My friend Peter is saying this book is more sure than what I saw. This book is more sure than what I heard. This book is more sure than what I think. This book is more sure, could I even go so far as to say, 
than what I feel. This book is more sure than my thinking. This book is more sure than my dreams. This book is more sure than anything else for all the events in Peter's life, for the man who sees the glory of the risen Christ, for the man who literally hears the voice of God, for the man who's the first one to go into the empty tomb and proclaim he is not here, he is risen, for the one who could say, I literally walked on the water, for all the events and all the stories and all the experiences and all the encounters in Pastor Peter's life. He exalts the word of God and says more than my memory and more than what I hear, more than what I see and more than what I feel, more than my dreams and my experiences and my encounters. He magnifies the precious word of God and he said the Bible is the more sure word of prophecy. More sure, more sure than what the ministers say. More sure than what religion teaches. More sure than even what our own heart is going to tell us. More sure, more sure the Bible is the more sure word of God. With that in mind, would you go back to 1 Peter chapter number 1 and listen as Pastor Peter stands up before his people, before the crowds that have, have run for their lives and made their way to what you and I call the modern country of Turkey. And as Pastor Peter is preaching and Pastor Peter is writing, he is exalting the more sure word of God. It is more sure than what we feel. It is more sure than what we dream. It is more sure than what we experience. The more sure word Word of God. Would you notice number one, it's more sure because it's a powerful book. Back to 1 Peter now, chapter 1, verse 23. Notice where it starts, being born again. My, do I love those words, being born again. Hey, Pastor Peter, you know you have been born into God's family. You know that once a child of Satan, you have been adopted into the family of God. Hey, Pastor Peter, you have been born by the Spirit of God. Through the Word of God, you have been born again into the family of God. Well, Pastor Peter, how do you know you've been born again? And would you notice, please, in verse 23, he didn't say being born again because my pastor told me. He didn't say being born again because mommy told me so. Being born again because a counselor at camp wrote it in the fly leaf of the Bible. Pastor Peter said being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. He said, I know that I have been born again because the Bible tells me so. And folks, could we just get down to that little subject that we're not supposed to talk about? I mean, that thing that is not to be mentioned on a Sunday morning and it would be the problem of perhaps some people in this room even today the battle they have that nobody else knows about that eternal struggle that never seems to die you know sometimes I doubt and I wonder if I'm really saved oh everything's okay preacher and then brother wrench goes and does it you know he has to stand up and preach a message about hell and I don't want to go to hell and I'm glad you don't and I panic and I worry and I toss and turn all night and then it's okay for a while and then brother wrench does it again he preaches a message that Jesus is coming and I don't want to be left behind and you know there are more than we know and not only more than and we know in numbers even more so we would be stunned if we knew who they were. People in a room just like this this morning that panic and debate am I really saved? And so what have we been taught? We've been taught, well, you know, you got to go back to that day you prayed and, and, and why? Let's sing it. Let's sing. Let's see if that helps. Somebody sings it was on a Sunday or it was on a Thursday or it was some other day and, and, and yet that's not, that's not the answer. 
And, and we go back to our mind. And okay, I remember when I walked forward and I got down on my knees in the altar, but, but what if my right knee hit ahead of my left knee? Did I do it wrong? And, and then I remember praying, but what if I sneezed in the wrong place? And what if I didn't get the word order? But the thing is, there's not one place you'll ever find in the Bible where God said, pray these words and you will go to heaven. Don't you think if there was a prayer that got you into heaven, it would be found in Genesis 1, verse 2? Don't you think? And do you know why there is no prayer that says, if you pray these words, you will go to heaven? Because prayers don't save. Jesus saves. And yet so many people struggle and they battle with this thing. And you know, I'm getting up there now and back there when I was a teenager, well, that's a long time ago. And, and if it's all based upon our memory, then folks, what are we going to do when somebody gets old and they lose their memory? Does that mean they're not saved? Hey, I got to tell you, folks, I'm so glad that when this old body wears out and this old mind's getting there, but when it's gone, I'm glad that when I don't remember anything, it doesn't matter about me remembering him. It's all about him remembering me. And it's not about me holding on to him. It's about him holding on to me. And it's not that I'm the door and he happened to be there. When I walk through the door, he's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the light. It is not about my memory. It's all about him knowing me. And folks, sometimes we have been trained to go back to some work or some prayer and there's something we have to do. But isn't it fascinating the advice Pastor Peter is giving in verse 23, being born again, not because you said so, I said so, not because a pastor said so, a counselor said so, a parent said so, but he said being born again. And if you want to know you're born again, he said, go to the Bible, to the incorruptible word of God. My friend, happy is the man or the lady this morning, the young person who can put their finger on the Bible and say, I know I'm going to heaven, not because I've got my pastor's word, not because I've got my parents' word. I know I'm going to heaven because I have God's word on it. Peter could say, let me tell you how I know I've been born again. Got nothing to do with me seeing something, hearing something. It doesn't matter that I walk with Jesus some three plus years on this earth, walking on the water, walking into the empty tomb. Nope, none of those things have any help. None of those things made me a child of God. He said, the reason I'm in God's family, the reason I know I'm born again is because the Bible tells me so. And that is the reason in John 5, 39, Jesus said, if you want to know how to go to heaven, fascinating now, he never said go to a church. He never said go to a minister. He never said go to a house of religion. Jesus said, if you want to know how to go to heaven, search the scriptures. For these are they which testify of me. For in them, in the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. Go to the Bible. Pastor Peter said, I'm in the family of God because the Bible tells me so. Uh, your pastor and I can stand up with a smile and say, I know I'm in the family of God because the Bible tells me so. And the only way to get victory over the doubt, the only way to get victory over that fear is to be so consumed with the word of God. I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again because the Bible tells me so. Hear Pastor Peter stand up on a Sunday morning and tell a local church, oh, I saw things you can't ever see. I heard some things you would be hard to believe. He said, I've done some things nobody else has ever done. I've been places where nobody else has ever gone. But with a smile on his face, let me tell you, I know I'm born into the family of God, not because the word of a pastor said so, not because the word of a parent said so. I know that I am born again because the more sure word of God tells me so. So, number one, I know I'm born again because the Bible tells me so.
But notice, if you would, number two, the Bible's not just a powerful book. This more sure word of God is a pure book. I love what it says in verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed. Corruptible would be the product of this earth. Corruptible seed is something that decays and passes away. But now Pastor Peter holds up the more sure word of prophecy and says this Bible's not going anywhere. It is incorruptible. It will never pass away. The pure words of God are incorruptible. And of course, that's what our Savior said in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away but I love this, my words. You know, many people say, well, we know, Pastor Wrench, that the Bible contains the Word of God. And hidden inside these valuable pages, you will find God's truth. Forget that. My friend, that book doesn't just simply contain the Word of God. That book is the Word of God. But it's not just that the Bible is the Word of God. Even more than that, every one of the words in the Bible are the words of God. That's what Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, every one of those words from in the beginning in Genesis 1 to the last amen of Revelation chapter 22, uh, every single one of those words are the words of God. That's what makes them so pure. That's what makes them so clean. That's what makes them so righteous. Every single one of the words of God surrounded by a corruptible world that falls apart in front of our very eyes. The eternal word of God is so pure, it is so clean, it is incorruptible. And you see Pastor Peter stand up and say, experiences, oh, did I ever have those? Encounters, if some like that word. He says, you have your dreams, you have your visions, all the other stuff you have when you eat what you shouldn't have ate before you went to bed. Well, Pastor Peter says, let me top them all. He said, more than my encounters and more than what I've seen with my eyes, more than what I've heard, more than where my feet have walked, more than all of these experiences in my life. He said, I absolutely love the more sure word of prophecy. This book is more sure. It is so powerful. It can tell a sinner like me how I can be born into God's family. It is so pure. It is completely incorruptible. It will never decay away. Notice number three, Pastor Peter stands before the people and reminds them it's a perfect book. Not just pure, it's perfect. In verse number 23, he says, this is by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He says the Bible is the word of God. Notice in verse number 25, the Bible is the word of the Lord. My, is that ever an impressive thing? You know, Every, every different century, perhaps even every decade, has its battle that has to be fought. Why, the enemies of the Word of God, Satan's forces, they have assaulted the Bible for 2,000 years, and their attacks have been many, many. But in the first century, the great attack against the Bible was also an attack against the Lord Jesus Christ, where the false religions would say that Jesus was nothing but an angel, maybe a great angel, maybe the king of the angels, but Jesus was simply an angel. Oh, no, oh, no. Pastor Peter stands up in verse 23. He says, let me tell you, this more sure book is the word of God. In the New Testament, God is the name usually reserved for God the Father. Then in verse number 25, he said, this book is not just the word of God, but the same book is the word of the Lord, the name that is used for my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Pastor Peter stood up and said, the Bible, the more sure word of God, this is God's word and it is Jesus' word. 
In other words, there is no dichotomy. There is no division here. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the reason Jesus, one of his many names, he is called the word of God. You cannot divide the Bible from the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put in verse 23 and 25, not only is Pastor Peter exalting the more sure word of God, he is exalting the Son of God. He is telling the people that Jesus Christ is God, very God. What a book. Every word that flows from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the word of God. It's why Pastor Peter could say, I tell you, I saw things nobody else has ever seen. I walked up on a mountain and I saw the glory of God that humans can can't see. I literally heard the voice of God exalting the Son of God. But at the end of the day, Pastor Peter holds up the Bible and says, you know, one day old Peter's memory is going to go bad. One day old Peter, they're going to be putting him in the bed or putting him in the ground. One day old Peter will be long gone. But there's something you need to know. There is a book that's not going anywhere. There is a book that is more sure than my memory. There is a book that is more sure than my experiences. There's a book that is more sure than my encounters. The more sure word of God. It's powerful. It is the pure word of God. It is the book that is perfect. But notice it is also the eternal book. In verse number 23, Pastor Peter said, The Bible is the book which liveth and abideth forever. Now, you may have one of these <clears throat> new and improved Bibles that are out there. I think you hope, understand, I'm saying that a little facetiously, but if you have a different Bible, if you look carefully at verse 23, you know what it's going to say? More accurately, you know what it's not going to say? It's not going to have the word forever in there. You know what modern Bibles say? It says the word of God liveth and abideth. They have taken an eraser and got rid of the words forever. Of course they have. Because modern Bibles have to be rewritten every three or four years, you know. Oh, oh, we found some new document in a cave someplace in Tahiti. And, and you know, with this new document, why we have got some improved words for the Bible. Hey, you don't seem to understand. Every three or four years, we're going to have to revise the Bible because after all, every three and four years, people need new Bibles and then they can buy the new and improved one. And so Bibles come out, it seems, a dime a dozen. They come out seemingly every day of the week. There's more Bibles than people know what to do with. No wonder these modern Bibles have taken the eraser and they've gotten rid of that word forever. But the Bible hasn't gotten rid of that word. This is not just a living book. This is not just a continuing and abiding book. But the Bible says it lives and it abides forever and forever and forever. In fact, that's what it means. The Bible says the word of God abideth. It means it abides 2,000 years ago it's going to keep on abiding 2,000 years later. And 10,000 years from now, it's still going to be abiding. It was alive 2,000 years ago. It is alive right now. And this living word of God is going to still be alive 100,000 years from now. Modern Bibles may not have an eternal book, but Pastor Peter had one. Pastor Peter holds up his Bible, says it's more sure because it's not going anywhere. It liveth and it abideth forever and forever. In verse 24, he could say, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away oh why it may be a beautiful flower that springs up from the ground it may be a green grassy field but everybody knows one day the rain stop everybody knows that one day the grass goes everybody knows the beautiful flower falls away to nothing but when the grass is gone and when the flower falls away pastor Peter said the word of the Lord endureth forever forever and forever and forever and forever 
forever. This book is the eternal word of God. That's why Pastor Peter could say, you know, my memory might come and go. And I may say one thing this Sunday and say something else next Sunday. And it may be that I forget and I get frail and I get weak. That's why he said, I don't trust my visions. I don't trust my dreams. I don't trust my experiences. I certainly am not going to trust my opinions. But Pastor Peter said, I just run to the pure, perfect, eternal words of God. More sure, more sure, more sure, more sure than my dreams, more sure than my memory, more sure than my experiences. It's the more sure word of God. So what are we going to do with the more sure word of God? Well, in chapter 1, verse 25, we're going to keep preaching the word. The Bible says this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. There's just one plan for Brother Wrench at Calvary Baptist Church. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Well, you know, Pastor, we, we've kind of done some studies, and we've kind of done some poll taking, and why we've done some serve, Surveys. We've gone out into communities just like the 111,000 people in Temecula, California. And you know, Pastor Wrench, we have discovered the millennials don't like the word preach. So we better come up with another plan. And, and you know what you really need? That, that pulpit thing. This pulpit made out of wood. Where did you ever come up with an idea like that? Well, from the Bible. You mean pulpits of wood are in the Bible? Hey, I know where it is. If you don't know where, I can't do all your work. Go find it yourself. I know where it is. Yeah. Do you, do you know what's not in the Bible? Lecterns of glass. Nope, I've checked it. Not in the Bible. Do you know why? Because behind lecterns, somebody teaches. Behind pulpits, somebody preaches. And our modern culture doesn't like the word preach. That's kind of got a negative connotation, Pastor Wrench. Uh, we did the, the, the people just don't like the word preach. So why don't you just replace the pulpit of wood with a cool-looking lectern of glass? And, and better yet, you know, when you walk through those doors, the first thing you see is a pulpit that says preach. You know, historically, that's been true in Baptist churches. Serious. I, 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 didn't, I did a little study on this one day, and it was stunning. And, and, and first, there's two things about pulpits that, that were amazing. Number one, in Baptist churches, historically, pulpits have always been the first thing you see. It's front and center. You know, in a lot of houses of religion that may even have a pulpit, they stick it way over there in the corner. In modern houses of religion, of course, there is no pulpit. There's nothing except for the drum set that's right about here. That ought to say everything we need to know. But you know, in, in some houses of religion, way back over there in the corner, that's where they stick the pulpit. Nope, not in Baptist churches. It's always front and center. And you know, that's not an accident. The reason that was done is because when somebody enters into an auditorium in the building that houses the local church, the first thing they ought to see is preaching. They ought to know that the preaching of the word is front and center. We have not gathered to share our opinions. We have gathered to open up the Bible and preach the word of God. You know, the second historically true thing about pulpits and Baptist churches, first, they're always in the middle, and number two, kind of like this one, they've always been large. Now, to be honest with you, I noticed that a long time ago, but I always thought, I always thought, Brother Wrench, the reason they were large had something to do with Baptist preachers and fried chicken. I just kind of thought that. <laughs> nope, nope, that's what I thought, but oh no, oh no. Do you know the reason they've historically been large is because the idea is for the preacher to hide behind the preaching of the Word of God. 
that when people walk out of the auditorium, they don't walk out saying, wow, our pastor is a rock star. They don't walk out the auditorium saying, our pastor is cool. They walk out of the auditorium saying, our pastor loves the Bible. It is not about our preacher. It is about the word of God. It is not about his word. It is about God's word. That's why pulpits have been large. That's why pulpits have always been in the center. Pulpits made out of wood. Well, that's just simply something we do to obey the word of God. And that's why Pastor Peter just says, keep preaching the word. Keep preaching the word. When the reverends have a new plan, just keep preaching the word. When the reverends come up with a new slick deal, just keep preaching the word. When and the pollsters come out and tell you people don't like preaching, double down on preaching because we are not here to be popular and we are not here to be liked and we are not here to do a survey and find out what people want. The only survey we do is of the word of God and God didn't say talk about it. God didn't say get smooth about it. God said stand up and preach the word, preach the word. This is how people hear the gospel, preach the word. What are we going to do? We're going to keep preaching. What are we going to do? Well, look at chapter 2, verse number 2. As newborn babes, eh, we're going to desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. What a great verse that is. Uh, the Bible tells us for a preacher like your pastor, just keep preaching the word. For the child of God in this place who knows the Savior, we desire his word. How do we desire it? Like a newborn babe. That, that's a stunning comparison, isn't it? I mean, if a little child was born in a hospital last night in Temecula, this morning they don't enroll the child in a class and give him 18 reasons on why he ought to want to drink milk. You know, when that child was born, he was born hungry, especially if it was a boy. He really is born hungry, and he's not going anywhere with that. And it's just a normal thing. It's, not a, it's just a natural thing. If a child doesn't want to drink his mother's milk, there's something desperately wrong. So it is when somebody is born again. You know, you really don't have to give them ribbons. You don't have to have a standing ovation. Hey, you really don't have to come up with a slick little plan. You really don't have to trick them into doing it. Because if somebody is born again, it is as natural for a newborn child of God to want the Bible as it is for a newborn baby in a Temecula hospital to want to drink milk this morning. You see, in all the Bible, what I cannot find, I'm sorry, I can't find anybody who got saved and then they didn't want the Bible. I, I know that's the salvation we're kind of used to, but I just can't find anybody in the Bible who got saved and says, what do I want the Bible for? I mean, that's exactly what does happen. You say, I'm a child of God. I'm born in the family of God. I belong to the Lord. And, and you know, my years for decades have been filled with the filth and the pollution of the world. What I want is the pure word of God. No, normal, run-of-the-mill, average Christianity says, I want to get up in the morning and start my day with the Bible. Average, normal, run-of-the-mill Christianity says, I desire to hide God's word in my heart so that I will not sin against him. Average, run-of-the-mill, normal Christianity Christianity says, as a daddy, I want to teach God's words to my children and put them in front of their eyes every day of their life. That's what normal, average, run-of-the-mill Christianity does. So when somebody says, I'm saved, but I don't want the Bible, I'm sorry, but that's a form of salvation you don't find in the Bible. And when it comes to eternity, when it comes to heaven and hell, I, I kind of just want to have something from the book, don't you? Saved people desire the Bible like a newborn baby desires the milk. I was preaching not too long ago in, in Canada, up in Vancouver, and, and uh, the first Sunday morning we started a meeting, there was this guy, you know, he wasn't very tall, but he was like that wide, and I mean, it was the kind of guy you'd say, whoa, 
I hate to meet that guy in a dark alley type guy, but he was a teddy bear. And, and after the morning service, the pastor introduced me to him and just the nicest guy. And after he left, the pastor said, would you pray for that guy? His name is Earl. And I'm praying that Earl gets saved. I said, sure. We, we, kept, we started praying for Earl. Uh, I dubbed him the Earl of Surrey. Surrey was where I was preaching. So we were praying for the Earl of Surrey. And what do you know? He comes back that Sunday night. And the preacher said, I've been witnessing to him and witnessing to him. He's just so close. And, and sure enough, we preached and gave the invitation that Sunday night. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw big old Earl step out of that seat. And he walks down the aisle, you know. And, he, and the preacher's a big guy. But he walked up and grabbed that preacher. I thought he was going to knock the preacher down. And Earl said, I want to get saved. Well, they had a little room to the side and somebody sat down with Earl and, and, and they opened up the Bible and introduced him to Christ. And, and after the services, kind of down here, talk with some folks and all of a sudden something caught my eye and I looked up and Earl came out of that door and he had the smile of heaven on his face. He raised his arms like that up in the air and he hollered for everybody to hear, I just got saved. I got to tell you, it's a great moment. Well, a little bit later, Earl and I were talking. He said, well, what do I do now? And I said, well, you know, Earl, when you're born in the family of God, about the first thing you need to do is get yourself in the Bible. Like a baby needs milk, point of this verse, you need the Bible. Uh, Earl said, all right. He said, where do I start? I said, well, you know, I took a little bookmark. I placed it in John chapter 1. I mean, you know, there, there's no bad way to do the Bible, right? It's kind of like Cold Stone Creamery. What do you put in there? It's all good. There's no such thing, if anything, that's not good. Yeah, you can go anywhere. It's all good. So I put a bookmark. I said, why don't you start in John chapter number one? Earl said, all right. Well, 23 hours later, we're getting ready for the Monday night service, and Brother Earl shows up. I see him coming through the door. He walks up and grabs my arm. He shakes me up. He says, oh, he said, I got home last night. He said, I started reading that Bible. He said, it was so good. He said, it was so good. He said, I couldn't put it down. He said, I started reading that book of John, dead serious. Now, he said, you know, I got done with the book of John, so I wasn't sure what to do. So he said, I read the book of Jeremiah. He said, is that okay? <laughs> I said, Earl, I think that's okay. Two weeks later, I got an email from the assistant pastor in the church. Just wanted you to know, Brother Earl finished reading the whole Bible through. Now, look, there's some of you here today say, you know, I'd love to do that. I got this little problem, though. It's called a job. Okay, you know, understand that. But you know, you may not be able to read through the Bible in the next two weeks, but if you're born again, you understand that. Because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something in your heart that says, I just want the Bible. I mean, I want to hear my pastor preach, you know, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's just not enough. I need more Bible, more Bible in my life, more Bible in my family, more Bible in my business. I, I just need the Word of God. I desire the Word of God, and sometimes life might get in the way. But I want the Bible. I desire the Bible. Normal Christians desire the Bible. Like newborn babies desire the milk bottle. So the question from Pastor Peter this morning for you and for me is, how are you doing with your Bible? You know, we talk about all the great sin of America. You know what just might be the biggest sin? It's going to happen in the next, oh, 60 minutes. People are going to go home from houses of religion, and they're going to take their prop, I'm sorry, their prop called the Bible, which they use under their arm on a Sunday morning to look real spiritual. They're going to go home to... From, from a house of religion, they're going to put the Bible up on the shelf and the Bible's going to sit there till next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock when they blow the dust off their prop and they, uh, uh, their Bible and they put it under their arms so they can look good walking to church. Or as an old English preacher put it, he said on a Sunday morning, I mean, I would never say this on a Sunday morning. I'm just quoting a guy. On a Sunday morning, he looked at a massive crowd of people and he said, 
some of you have so much dust on your Bible, you could take your finger and write the word damnation. I didn't say that. It's quoting a guy. The great sin. Oh, yeah, we love the Bible. Oh, the Bible stands like a rock undaunted in the raging storms of time. Let's sing it. Let's preach it. Let's teach it. Let's say it. Well, then let's read it. Let's study it. Let's teach it to our family. Let's hide it in our heart. Let's meditate on it. What a Bible word. The Bible word meditate means fill your mind with the word of God. Back to the Bible, loving it, studying it, hiding it in our heart, teaching it to our children, feasting on the preaching of the word of God because, my friend, it doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we experience. It doesn't even matter what we feel. What counts is what does the more sure word of prophecy say? So Calvary Baptist Church, keep preaching the word. Calvary Baptist Church, keep desiring the word. Stay in that book because that book makes the difference. Because a pastor could stand up in front of his church in Babylon 2,000 years ago and say, for all that I've heard and all that I've experienced and all that I've felt and all that I've known, this book is the more sure word of prophecy. Father, I pray this morning you do a mighty work in your people and And Lord, for someone who's let the Bible sitting on the shelf or maybe somebody today whose Bible memory program has been sliding, what a great way to come to the end of a year and say back to the Bible in my life, in my family altar, back to the Bible in my Bible memory, back to studying the Word of God. Lord, would you just bless Calvary Baptist Church with a great revival of a people who love their Bible again. Now, Lord, for someone who's never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, help them understand the Bible is not a way to go to heaven. It is the only way to know how to go to heaven. And I pray that in this room, in this day, a man, a woman, a boy or girl would understand they desperately need salvation according to thy word. I wonder with our heads bowed or eyes closed in a moment, I'm going to finish praying and and we're going to sing an invitation song as you're all on the altar. Before we do, I wonder if there'd be somebody in this place today that would say, Preacher, I don't know from the Bible that Jesus is my Savior. Has anybody ever sat down with an open Bible and showed you from the Bible how to go to heaven? It's one thing to go to a house of religion and wave our arms in the air, but that's not salvation. It's one thing to go to a house of religion and and read a prayer, but you know, all religions have prayers that they read and pray. That's not salvation. It's one thing to go to a house of religion and be convinced that, that if I put money in the offering, then I'll get everything I want, but that's not Bible salvation. Oh, no. No, there is a very specific way to know how to go to heaven. And the Lord Jesus said it not once, but repeatedly, go to the Bible. Go to the Bible. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. Go to the Bible, the written word of God. Maybe somebody today would say, you know, I've grown up maybe even in a Baptist church all my life. But you know, nobody's ever sat down and showed me from the Bible how I could be born into God's family. It's nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about, but it certainly is something to get settled. And today would be the greatest day of all, for the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Pastor Wrench, there's nothing on the agenda more important than having someone sit down with you and an open Bible and showing you how the Bible says you can know you're in God's family. You say, I'd really like that. We'd love to be able to pray for you. More than that, if you'd allow us, we'd love to be able to help you. So in a moment, I'm going to finish my prayer. And yet when I do, I'd love to be able to pray for someone in this room. 
I wonder if there's a man or a lady or a young person, a church member, a visitor, anyone at all, who would say, you know, preacher, I just am not certain from the Bible that I'm going to heaven, but I am concerned enough about my soul. I would like you to pray for me, and I would like Pastor Wrench to have somebody help me from the Bible. I want to know that I have been born into God's family from the Bible. Is there somebody like that? Would you just lift your hand just quietly? We're not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. And if you let us, Pastor Wrench wants to help you today. Is there somebody who'd say, pray for me? I want to know from the more sure word of God that I have been born into God's family. Pray for me. Would you lift that hand? I'd love to pray for you. Sure, we'll be glad to pray for you today. Thank you. Is there anybody else before I pray? Remember me. I want to know from the Bible that I have been born into God's family. Pray for me. Anyone else? Now, my Father, you know our hearts. And for somebody in this room who says, I just don't know from the Bible that I have been born into God's family, please help them understand today that it is not church, it is not religion, it is not ministers, and certainly not our own heart and our own feelings. But the Bible is written so that we might know that we have been born again. What a wonderful thing to know. And I pray that today would be the day that every man and lady and boy and girl in this room knows I have been born into God's family. Now, Lord, I know many have Christ as their Savior, but the Bible's sitting on the shelf. What a great day to humble ourselves and get on our knees and say back to the Bible in my life. Would you please do a work in the hearts of your children as we commit this invitation to you in the great name of Jesus, I pray. Would you stand together with me prayerfully? And, and Brother Ryan leads us in a song many of us know. If you say, I'd like to know from the Bible that Jesus is my Savior. As we sing, would you step out of that seat and come? Pastor Wrench will meet you here and help you. God deals in your heart as a Christian. Would you come as we sing for you? And have earnestly fervent.